Hey everyone, you're listening to the Simple Electronics Podcast. I'm your host, Dan, from the Simple Electronics YouTube channel. And with me today, there is absolutely nobody special. It is just me again today. Reason for that is um, I've been on vacation, or I'm supposed to be on vacation. Long story, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by PCBWay. Um, more on that later as well. So yeah, I'm supposed to be on vacation, um, but I did do some electronics-y stuff. So let's start with that, and then we'll do sort of like personal updates a little bit later on in the episode. So first and foremost, um, I did get to meet a YouTuber face-to-face -face for the very first time ever. I've been doing this since uh, 2016, and... Mind you, my memory hasn't been too great as of late, so you'll have to excuse me if you have met me in person and I don't remember that I've met you or I'm not considering you a YouTuber. But yeah, for the very first time, I have met a YouTuber in person, Gabe from the Save It For Parts YouTube channel, happened to be coming through town and actually um, stopping in at a location which will be disclosed a little bit later in the future um, in order to uh, buy something and to um, interview someone and to uh, pick up uh, some uh, some footage inside of something. Anyways, there is uh, a reason for his visit to Ottawa, but he was just sort of transitioning through. So, you know, he was only here for a day or two. And so I spent a good uh, four or five hours with him. Super nice guy. Got to meet him. I got to help him. I got to be sort of uh, like a free labor for him, which I did happily. He didn't actually ask me to help. And um, because of him, uh, I got into uh, this location, which you'll see his video. I don't want to take the the thunder away from from his video, from his you know location scouting. So once his video is released, and then I will make a video on the footage that I have as well. So yeah, super nice guy, got to meet him. I don't actually know what like the protocol is for meeting up with people in person. So I thought it would be pretty cool since I, you know, have that PCB way sponsorship and I tend to make a lot of PCBs. I would take uh, a couple of my extra PCBs, assemble them into kits, put them into, you know, a Ziploc and uh, hand it to them. So it was really nice, actually, uh, to meet him and be able to hand him something that he could, you know, then, um, you know, assemble at home if he so chooses. But yeah, it was very, um, it was very cool. It was a very cool guy. Met him, met his wife. Um, but the other thing that having access through or, or having met him brought me is that I got access to a very cool location here in Ottawa that I would have never thought of. So I think what happened is that um, there is uh, someone, uh, and again, I don't want to spoil anything because I'm, first of all, I'm not sure, 100% sure what he wants to release and I'm not 100% sure when he wants to release it. So I'm going to be speaking in very vague terms here and I do want you to go to uh, Gabe's channel. I'm going to put it in down in the description and I want you to subscribe to be able to see when this video comes out. But there's basically a really cool location in Ottawa. Uh, I can say even in the west end of Ottawa. 
where um, one uh, someone who has access to this uh, facility emailed Gabe about um, you know uh, something that he could buy from them from this you know facilities organization um, to help him make his videos or you know to follow his interests in the videos he's been making recently and he came down here uh, Gabe came down here to to buy this off this person but this person happens to be a person who is extremely interesting and they've been involved with the inner workings of this facility for quite a while and so it's this facility that I got a, a tour of and I got to speak to you know the the gentleman who had invited Gabe down and uh, I got to see the inner workings of this place really cool setup really cool thing uh, I don't even really know how much is going to have to be disclosed afterwards um, but yeah uh, and I even spoke to this person in charge and this person might want might be interested in coming onto the podcast to talk about their expertise, their um, their you know what their hobbies are, uh, what their link is to the facility, uh, what they find cool, maybe the inner workings. I'm very interested in the electronics and the um, uh, electromechanical parts of this facility. I got some really cool footage. Um, it's stuff that you you know it feels like it's one of one you know, once-in-a-lifetime type stuff, uh, even though I feel like for the people that were there at the facility, it feels quite mundane. And even I think the people who own the facility don't think it's really all that crazy because they're in that sort of business and they see it all the time. And so, yeah, I'm really happy to be making a video. I just kind of, you know... The, the only thing I have to caution you is my video will be quite uh, broad because I felt like a guest of Gabe's, save it for parts, and not really a guest of the person who was giving the tour. I didn't want to sort of uh, direct the tour. I really stood stood back as um, uh, Gabe was uh, asking questions and, and all these kinds of things. Uh, although Gabe really seem to want, you know, to, to make sure that I get um, what I needed to make a video out of it. I really felt like, uh, you know, especially someone on, a, on foreign soil who came here for a reason, I really didn't want to step on his feet. Uh, and so I just kind of, you know, got some footage and I'm going to, you know, have to decide on a direction uh, that I want to take this. And then I'm going to build a, a little bit of a video out of it. But yeah, I was really stoked. So, you know, Gabe, I don't know if I, if you're listening to this, um, I hope, you know, I, I hope, you know, I appreciate the, uh, the access that I got and meeting you was really cool. And I hope that you guys listening will enjoy Gabe's video. And then I'm going to make my own video. And then hopefully we'll all enjoy it together. But yeah, that's pretty cool. And I'm really looking forward. Uh, the gentleman who was uh, doing touring the facility, I'm really um, looking forward to getting to know him a little bit, maybe getting him on the podcast. And um, he did say that um, he, you know, he'd be open for me to go down there again and help out with the, the meat and potatoes of what they're doing down there. So I would love to do that. And maybe I'll bring, you know, the camera along and take some extra footage. So that'll be pretty cool, I think.
I also got some coding done during my vacation. Um, it's I don't know if I spoke about this on the last podcast or not, but uh, my current uh, my my new boss. Uh, you know, I work for a really small mobile mechanic company right now. My new boss um, always had this idea that he'd like to test trailers because some of the the work he does includes, you know, maintenance on uh, sort of like. Um, you know, like lawn care equipment, um, ATVs, motorcycles, uh, maybe not motorcycles, but but stuff like that. And um, a lot of that requires having a trailer in working order. And he's always been sort of talking that he'd like a way to test trailers uh, and test the wiring on the truck side as well. Um you know, without bringing his truck over and plugging in, because sometimes he has his own trailer, so you have to deep in, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the thing is, a a trailer is just really a series of lights, right? You have the turn brake on both sides, um, and which is the same bulb, and then you have the park lights uh, and the clearance lights, which are the same circuit, and... Um, Sometimes you have reverse lights, sometimes you have auxiliary 12 volts, and sometimes you have trailer brakes. And I'm thinking, well, we can just switch that in with, you know, an Arduino doing all the all, all the switching. And my idea is to have software buttons. So, you know, physical buttons you press but are activated in software. So you can do more stuff with it. We can, you know, cycle through all the lights. So you can, you know, hit the button and go in the back and check. Uh, and also have everything set up so that it uh, stays on statically. And so that's really what I've been working on. I'm uh, using an ESP32, and so I'm, but I am coding in Arduino C. It is the uh, coding language that I'm the most comfortable with. And I know I said I was going to do um, sort of the, the courses on HTML, PHP, and CSS, and that is still the goal. Um, but for the moment, since I have a, a need for it, I'm going to be coding in Arduino C. And so I actually successfully wrote my first function. Now, it doesn't sound like a lot to, you know, coding wizards out there who already understand functions and, and what they do. But for me, it was a little bit difficult to not only understand what a function is, but what was the point of writing a function. And so let me try to break it down for those of you that are like me and don't really understand coding too well. So a function is just, first of all, a piece of code. If you're um, familiar with Arduino, your default Arduino sketch starts with two functions. There's the void um, setup and the void loop. So both of those are functions, and what you write inside of them will just, um, you know, the setup runs once on startup, and the loop runs uh, infinitely on Arduino. So a function really is just like a group of code that you need to, to do in multiple situations, called multiple times in the software, and and also correct me if I'm wrong in the uh, comments if you if you are on a platform that you know has comments, but that you can call multiple times and organizing things into functions, it really uh, cleans up the readability of your code. 
And readability is a big deal for me because, first of all, I'm, I have trouble reading and understanding code. And so I don't want my code when I release it, because pretty much everything I do is open source, I don't want my code to be unreadable. So basically, I have a, a, a piece of code that checks for which button is pressed. And that code can be done in a function. So at the start of the loop, I want, you know, I, I want the, the code to check to see if a button was pressed. So you make a function, uh, you know, you, I can call it, I don't remember what I called it, but I can call it something like uh, check for button presses or, you know, is it has anything been pressed? And so the first line of the code will be like, has anything been pressed? And then the, the code will go into my function and then it'll run through and check to see if any button has been pressed. Once it's done that sequence, it goes back to the main loop. And then the next thing will be to, um, you know, do some stuff. I'm not quite sure what at this point because I'm not that far. But then um, I want to uh, turn on the lights that have been asked for, like by the code. So let's say that I press the button for uh, the brake lights. So you press the button for the brake lights. The code will go and check and see which button is pressed. It says, okay, the user pressed the button to turn on the brake lights. So it'll return that value to the, to the main body of code. And then we're going to treat that. We're going to probably toggle a Boolean or something. And then it's going to activate the lights, that another function. So it goes into the function, activate the lights. And in that piece of code, every Boolean that is toggled true, every, you know, every light will have its own Boolean. Um, then it would just turn on the output to uh, out of the ESP32, which will then activate a relay, which will then turn on the light. And so I think putting the out the input stage in a function and the output stage in a function just increases the readability of the code. Now obviously if I'm wrong I need you guys to tell me, but this is this is what I feel like it is. So not only have I got this working as a prototype, but I've got it working well enough that I can now make a PCB out of it. In fact, I think I already went into KiCad and drew out the, the, the circuit diagram. So I have a circuit diagram in KiCad already, and then I just have to build a couple custom footprints. It's going to be a little while, but um, this is, you know, it, it's, I'm making progress. I've even went onto AliExpress and I've ordered some of the parts I need. So... I want these really small automotive relays uh, because this whole thing is supposed to fit in an ammo box. So it's going to be a little tight, but I'm up to the challenge. But then, you know, so this is, this is a, a success, but then I'm going to be learning HTML, PHP, and CSS like I had planned to because the ESP32 will allow me to make an HTML web page and have those physical buttons that I've put in, I could have them as um, a web page with software buttons as well. So the entire idea here is that you plug in this box, which is powered by a drill battery, and then you can walk to the back of the trailer 
and you can turn on each individual light one at a time. You can have them go into a sequence, etc. So this is a really cool product that uh, you know I'm I've been inspired to design, and it'll be given as a gift to my um, my new boss. And uh, I think he said he's going to pay for pay for parts, but I, that gets a little com- complicated because I've already ordered parts and w- whatever. But um, the cool thing is I'm going to make one for myself as well. And it's going to be, I mean, I, I think it's pretty cool that I'm able to create my own test gear like that. And, and then obviously I'm going to make it all open source. And so people can do either point-to-point wired, you know, they can make it on Vero board or they can wire with just a, a harness and some plywood or whatever. And yeah, they can use they can use my designs and make their own, which I think is super cool. Another thing I got to do on my vacation is I got to get back into 3D modeling. Now I have to tell you, I think I've said this before, but um, basically being able to uh, solve a problem by 3D modeling something and then sending it over to the printer, and then, you know, a bunch of hours later, you have a solution, feels like an actual superpower. So uh, at the very beginning of my vacation, I moved my uh, sim rig over. I have a a sort of like a racing wheel, steering wheel, USB, um, and I have pedals, uh, right, to to play racing games. Um, And this is all well and good. I never make time to sim race, so when I started my vacation, even though I had stuff to do, I did make some time, moved over the whole thing, and uh, and played a little bit. And then I remembered that I have a USB shifter I bought for, for it recently, which I haven't installed. And so... <clears throat> and so since I love uh, driving manual cars in my everyday life, I figured I would install the USB shifter. Well, the base for my sim racing setup uh, has... Uh, came with a bracket, a little arm that you bolt onto the side, and it has a little tray, and then you just bolt on this USB shifter, and then, uh, you know, boppity boopity, you've got a USB shifter. So I played with it a little bit, it was great, and then when it came time to move my sim rig back into its stowed position, uh, it turns out that it sticks out to the towards me, uh, where I'm sitting when I'm working on my computer, and and this tray was way too long. And so whenever I would swing my chair outwards to try to get get up, um, you know, I have to be really careful or else I would just eat it in the shin. So I booted up Fusion 360 and I was able to quickly model. It probably took me less than probably about an hour. Let's just say I wasn't working very quickly, but about an hour to measure up the bracket on the sim racing setup and the shifter, and I made myself an adapter shelf uh, and then sent it out to the printer. And the next day, I was able to install my shifter on now a much narrower shelf. So now I don't have to worry about my shins getting hit and uh, hurting myself. And I think, I mean, some of you may know already, but 3D printing is something I was, uh, you know, looking at since high school talking about like 2005, 2006. And back then, a 3D printer and all, well, all the parts needed to do 3D printing, it costs like, like, you know, $10,000 or, or something like that. But today, to just go on to a free piece of software, which is Fusion 360 in my case, 
and then send it out to a $300, um, you know, 3D printer and then have it just print out a solution to a problem that, that annoyed you is an incredible feeling. It's literally a superpower. So yeah, it felt really good to be able to redesign something like that, get back to, to my roots and, and make stuff again. Feels really good. Now, mind you, I didn't do it perfect the first time. And this is something that some of you may know. I'm a very iterative type person. I usually don't get things right on the first try. And so um, what what had happened is that my design wasn't too great. I couldn't reach the uh, bolts very easily to, you know, uh, to hold the nuts on the backside and then to bolt it in. But I mean, I'm also very resourceful. So all I did is I drilled the holes a little bit bigger and I installed some riv nuts. Now, it's not perfect. It's a little bit loose, um, like like there's some flex in the plastic because it's not butted right up against the um, the bracket. But again, I'm able to iterate on it and I can print another one if I want to. So if I get annoyed by the fact that it's loose, I'll just make another one. I guess this is as good as time as any to get into the sponsor of today's episode, PCBWay. Now, I say PCBWay because they do PCBs, $5 for um, a whole bunch of PCBs. Typically, they want you to get five PCBs, but you can actually increase the number you know, until the price goes up beyond $5. The smaller your board, the more I have been able to get away with this. Shipping is very reasonable in a world where shipping is not reasonable these days. Um, and the reason why I bring it up right now is because you can also use PCBWay for CNC and for 3D printing. So any of the projects that I release that have 3D printing files, you can freely download those uh, files, 3D print them at home, at a friend's house, at your local library. But if you don't have that, or if you want access to more exotic materials, check out the link in the description. PCBWay can print and ship you the items. Let's get back to the show. Well, I guess it's time for a little personal update. So I am at the moment still without a car. So just a quick recap. I have a 2001 Volvo V70 wagon automatic, unfortunately, but you know, the price was right. So it is what it is. And the transmission let go on me uh, several weeks ago now, four weeks ago. And so I uh, bought a used transmission and pulled it out. Much to my chagrin, a lot of stuff went wrong. That's totally fine. Put in the new transmission, uh, put the hooked up the scanner, which I borrowed from work, which was fantastic. Uh, cleared the adaptation. The transmission kind of learns how to shift and whatever based on, uh, you know, the wear in the transmission. Went for a road test. Everything was fine for, you know, the first little while while the transmission was cold. But once it warmed up, it started slipping like crazy. And so I contacted the recycling yard where I got the transmission because it has a 30-day warranty. And um, he said he would pull another one for me, but it'll take a little while, whatever. So recently, I just pulled the transmission again, went back to the recycling yard, and he he was boasting that this new transmission will be better because it's from a car with 140,000 kilometers. Uh, mine has 230, something like that. And so he was saying, this one's going to be perfect. Uh, you know, I promise it's going to be, it's going to be great. A lot less mileage, blah, 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 whatever. So I pull the transmission out of my car again, bring it to the scrapyard. Uh, and then he's like, oh yeah, 
the transmission I pulled from the car with 143,000 kilometers, um, that one has a scrapyard tag on it. So that transmission has been replaced already. And now I'm thinking, oh, crap. So I'm going to put this one back, like this this new, the, the second new one in my car. But if if that doesn't work, I don't really know what the heck to do anymore. Um, you know, having pulled the transmission twice already, I'll have to pull it again if, uh, if that's the case. And then what the hell do I do? So I'm in this weird situation where the market around me, cars are extremely expensive. Used cars, the prices are through the roof. I've been sort of um, uh, checking out uh, used car prices uh, for the last little while. And it feels like some cars are like 15, 20% too expensive. And a lot of them are even more than that, especially on the low end. When I bought my car, I only paid uh, $400 for it. Did need some work, just a little bit of work, but it was, it was parts, right? I, I do my own labor. But now I'm finding out that these transmissions are extremely problematic. So for those of you following along at home, if you want to do some research, it's the uh, AW. 50-55SN, so the front-wheel drive version. They are known to be horrible transmissions, and a rebuilt one costs somewhere along the lines of four to forty-five hundred dollars, four four thousand to forty-five hundred dollars. So that is one that has been re certified refurbished, but you know you still got to put it in. So I got a four hundred dollar car, which then I have to put in a $4,000 transmission, that's just not going to work, right? So when I found this used transmission, it was $800 taxes in. And so I thought it was a worthy gamble. But now if I'm putting in my second one, uh, thankfully I didn't have to pay for the second one. And if that doesn't work, then really I'm kind of stuck either paying, you know, up to $10,000 or more for a reasonable used car, something that's, you know, not rusted and falling apart, or uh, I have to do something else. Uh, and so the, the body of my Volvo is in really good shape. It's, it was in British Columbia on the West Coast for most of its life, so it has very, very little rust on it. So it's a car I can foreseeably drive, you know, foreseeably drive for the next five, six years, but not if I'm just going to keep going through transmissions. And the other thing is I work kind of far away from home now. The new job with the uh, smaller shop, uh, the, the smaller business that I'm working with has me driving a half hour, 40 minutes every single day, each direction, whereas I used to work really close to home all the time. So if I if this transmission slips on me, then what the heck am I going to do? So I've got a couple options here, but every option is very expensive. So first of all is to buy a rebuilt transmission. So $4,000 uh, to $4,500. $4, it's not my ideal, but it is a possibility. The other possibility is to convert the car into a manual transmission car. Now, uh, I don't know how much you know about European cars, but all of the parts needed to do this are exceedingly either rare or expensive or expensive because they are rare. 
So let's start with the transmission. So a used manual transmission will probably cost somewhere around $1,000 to $1,500. Now, I can get it a little bit cheaper if I have a little bit of luck and if there's one available at a U-Pullet yard uh, near me. However, to pull that transmission myself will cost me somewhere around one to two days, full days of labor to pull it because that U-Pullet yard, you know, you have to do it all yourself. So I'll have to unhook absolutely everything and then drop the engine down below the car and then try to finagle the transmission out. Uh, and this is on a gravel lot, so you can't like slide anything around. There's no like hoist, nothing of the sort. You're really on your own. So, And then it's a gamble whether or not that transmission will be any good. Next thing you need is a clutch. Uh, it is not a good deal, uh, not a good idea to reuse a used clutch. And so a clutch is uh, about six to seven hundred dollars, something like that. Um, probably can get a little bit cheaper, maybe three hundred dollars if I do a little bit of searching. Then you need a flywheel. That's the, the, the part that bolts onto the engine and actually is one half of the surface of uh, like the contact surface of the clutch. That'll cost. Uh, about $600 just for a flywheel because these engines use a dual mass flywheel. They're basically a, a flywheel that uses a spring and um, two you know, surfaces to dampen forces between them so you get smoother engagement and stuff. You can get a single mass flywheel, uh, but you don't save any money because the only companies that make them are performance companies. So, yeah, very expensive. Then you have to get all of the parts to convert your car to manual, right? So you need the shifter assembly, right? And that's going to be quite expensive. Again, if I'm lucky, I can find that at a local recycler. Um, then you need the shifter cables. So again, if I'm lucky, local recycler, if not very expensive. Then you need a pedal assembly, and you need the clutch uh, master cylinder, and you need the clutch slave cylinder, which I think on this one is actually integrated into uh, the bearing that pushes the release bearing for the clutch. And uh, on these cars, you have to pull the dash forward in order to change the pedal assembly. But here it gets even wilder. These cars are microcontroller multiplexed. That means the transmission control module on the automatic transmission communicates with the engine control module for to, that controls the injection and the timing and all that stuff. And those communicate with a module inside the vehicle called the central electronic module, which handles uh, sort of like, uh, it handles mostly interior stuff, but also handles things like, you know, whether or not the, the car will start or not, has the security system included also has a rear electronic module so those things all communicate with each other and in order to convert the vehicle from a automatic transmission to a manual transmission you have to reprogram the engine the the ecm the engine control module and the central electronic module so the one inside and the one in the engine bay and then you have to you know, remove the transmission control module and you have to cut 
the uh, communication wires that go to the transmission module and then short them. But to reprogram those two modules, the central electronic module and the um, ECM, you have to order a reprogrammed file. You have to get a, a, a like like a file to change the booleans basically in the in the software, and the one that's recommended by all the people who have done these uh, swaps before. I emailed them, and they said it would be. 750 US dollars and plus I have to buy my own communication cable hook it up to a laptop uh, download the software that they they will send me and then program my modules 750 US dollars that's that's like a thousand Canadian dollars just to do the reprogramming on a vehicle that literally cost me 400 dollars this is insane. And so, like, I, I feel like I'm going to get to a point, if this transmission doesn't work, where I either look for another used automatic transmission or I get rid of the car for pennies because it's not worth anything without a working transmission. The, the whole concept is absolutely ridiculous that I find myself in. I mean, I looked on the uh, used market, and near me, there is an entire vehicle, a Volvo S60. It's a it's a sedan, it's a four door, with a manual transmission in it. You know, it, it came from the factory with manual transmission. The guy wants two thousand five hundred dollars for the vehicle, but even if I bought that vehicle for two thousand five hundred dollars, because of the security system on the car, I wouldn't even be able to pull all the parts out of that car and put it into mine. It would still need to be reprogrammed with the security module because of the security module. So I'd still have to pay 750 US dollars to reprogram my modules to that one. It is insane how expensive these old Volvos have become, um, mostly because of that really crappy transmission. And so, yeah, I'm kind of like up the creek because now I don't know what to do. Like I don't have, uh, you know, an extra bunch of thousands of dollars to, to buy a car. And I haven't even, like, like I looked at what the finance rate is for a brand new car and the finance rate is like seven and a half percent. So I can't afford seven and a half percent interest rate on a brand new car used cars have higher interest rates so yeah i really it's not a good time to be buying a car right now and it really seems like if this transmission doesn't work i'm either gonna have to be without wheels i'm gonna have to spend more money on it on another transmission which probably won't work or like i i don't know so i'm not sure what the heck to do and it's even more i think what, what's bothering me even more is that my Volvo, which I love, is in great shape aside from the transmission. So I feel like getting rid of it because of that, it, it just feels so wasteful and wrong. And especially since uh, in the course of getting parts and stuff to, um, to replace my blown transmission, I've spent $1,600 in parts and fluids and that used transmission 
And so I'll be able to get rid of the car for like 200 or 300 or $400 for scrap value. But all that, that $1,600 I already put into it, plus, you know, the fact that it's already licensed, insured, all this stuff. Yeah. So that's what's been causing me the most stress recently. So yeah, that really, that really sucks. And that's a situation I find myself in. The other thing I was, uh, I was thinking of doing is I do have a car channel. Uh, Dan Fixes Cars on YouTube, danfixescars.com. And I've been meaning to make more content for it. So the other idea, I actually, and I might do this either way, is when I put the used transmission in my car again, probably this week or early next week, then I will order all the parts I need to rebuild my transmission and uh, over the course of winter, uh, bring it down to the basement and, uh, and rebuild it and do YouTube videos on it. The only issue is that, that the transmission that I have, the AW50-55, uh, it is uh, pretty well known for cracking the case. So you take it apart and there's a section of it that breaks internally uh, and that causes problems too. So if I open it up, and I see that part is cracked, then I have to try to bring it to a welder, get it welded, get it remachined properly. It's just, I think it's going to be a nightmare. But what other choice do I have? I really don't feel like throwing this car into the garbage and not that I can afford another car anyways. So that's my dilemma. That's what's been on my mind. But um, yeah, if, uh, you know, I guess it'll be an excuse to do car content. I don't know. And don't forget, I'm doing all this uh, on my back in my driveway. So at the very least, it's not 40 degrees Celsius anymore. But uh, still, it's it's really not fun doing this. Um, in case you're wondering, though, after I posted about the first time that I pulled my transmission, some friends of mine uh, told me that they would have been really interested to see the process of pulling the transmission and putting the new one back in. So I have been filming this time around pulling the transmission and um, I will be filming putting it back to back together. And so if you're interested in seeing the whole process, which would go not on my main channel, it would go on Dan Fix's Cars, um, let me know because, uh, you know, if I get no encouragement, I probably won't make the video, but I'm just taking the footage just in case. I have a, a lot of stuff that I have to like blur out and stuff like that because I did do the work. Uh, well, I don't, I'm not doing it in my driveway. I'm doing it in a friend's driveway, but I don't want him to get doxxed and whatever. Uh, so it will be a lot of work. So don't expect this right away, but I am filming the process. So if you're interested, let me know. The last thing I want to chat about is what I've been watching on YouTube, and maybe it'll be interesting to you and you can go check out these creators. Uh, first and foremost, I've been watching a lot of Julian Eilert lately. I mean, I always watch Julian Eilert. Uh, I pretty much started on his content in YouTube, but uh, he's been building battery packs with um, uh, PCB links to the lithium batteries. So instead of using like welded on um, terminals or 
instead of using you know the the metal links that you usually get with uh, cells, he's been making PCB uh, links for quite a while now, and he's building a much bigger battery pack, a 768 watt hour battery pack, and I genuinely like what he's doing with his lithium ion or lithium or lithium iron phosphate batteries setups because he actually uh, charges from solar and then when the battery is full he dumps it into a bitcoin miner making you know all of one to two cents per day um, but either way he is getting um, you know free bitcoin out of it and more importantly he's heating up his shed with it he's actually using the waste heat generated by the sun you know on the panels charging batteries generating waste heat and i do believe this new battery pack is sort of like an extension to that project so uh, if you're interested in that uh, definitely go check him out he's um, very uh, educational in the way he shows off his projects he guides you along uh, explains everything so he's a really good youtuber overall uh, in fact, if uh, my channel ever gets to the point where uh, Julian is, I think I'd be a happy man. So, yeah, it, you know, that kind of stuff is awesome to me that you can just follow your hobbies and uh, share with everyone. Next person I'd like to talk about is Anthony over at uh, One Circuit. Anthony, right? I hope so. It's, it's late at night, so hopefully I'm correct about that. I'm pretty sure it is. Um well, anyways, he uh, has been working on all sorts of stuff. He usually makes a video a week. And the last video that he made was trying to expand the memory uh, from uh, ESP01, that is the cheap ESP board, uh, up to 16 megabytes. I think it started at 8 megabytes. Not 100% sure. But his channel is a wealth of knowledge of all sorts of stuff. Um, he's really good at what he does. I'm, uh, I'm actually quite envious of the, the fact that um, uh, he, get, he does these cool projects. He understands coding. He understands messing with really cheap microcontrollers, optimizing code for that. Uh, and in fact, about four months ago, he actually got his 200th video. I'll link that one specifically in the description because I'd like you to go check it out because it only has 248 views. We need to uh, pump up those views because those are rookie numbers. So yeah, uh, check it out in the description below. <clears throat> Next one up is Peter Sripal. Um, Peter Sripal is a creator I've been following for a long time. Um, back in the day, I was interested in uh, RC airplanes, and I still am interested, but now it's kind of different, especially if I do it for YouTube. It's kind of like commercial flying. Uh, you do need to be licensed for anything above 250 grams here in Canada. And, um, uh, and technically what, what I'm doing is commercial flying if it goes on YouTube, even though the rules are not quite clear about that. Long story short, through uh, Flight Test, which is a great uh, YouTube channel and company that aims to get more beginners into um, you know, flying planes for very cheap, um, they had Peter Sripal on, who uh, was famous for doing, you know, foam and tape airplanes. And now he's gone into sort of a little bit more in a remote control device, William Osmond sort of direction. So he does uh, really cool projects. He turned a Dremel into a helicopter. 
Um, he designed some 3D printed outboard RC motors. He made a train from a Sawzall, all sorts of cool stuff like that. But recently he bought a uh, old lobster boat and he's been doing the work on modifying it uh, to run better. And I think the goal is so he can do more boat stuff. So as you know, you know, for me, boat stuff is really cool stuff. Uh, I'm really happy when uh, I'm on the water. And so, yeah, he mixes a little bit of like mechanical stuff, RSC stuff, electronic stuff all together. And recently he's been doing a lot more boat stuff, which is fantastic. He actually has a full electric um, uh, boat, full-size boat with uh, solar panels on the top. It's just a tiny little... Um, like it's a little rowboat basically, but, um, you know, he made himself canopy and, uh, put solar panels on it. Really cool. Really love to, to replicate that myself. Um, I mean, it is coming, but just not this year, probably not next year either. So I'll put a link to his channel in the description as well. Next one up is a friend of the show pile of stuff. He's been on here a couple of times um, I'm going to put a link to his uh, channel as well. There's actually a video that I haven't watched yet, but he got himself a Creality Falcon 2 laser engraver. And I think, I have a feeling he, like I didn't watch the video yet. Uh, so maybe when you go watch it, I'll be watching it at the same time. But I believe he's making a PCB out of it. So I think he's trying to uh, to see if you can manufacture PCBs at home with a laser engraver. So definitely go have a look uh, at his channel as well. He's got a couple things. He's uh, he's probably the master of mailbag videos. He gets really good views on his mailbag videos. Um, it's it's really cool. Um, you know, in the last uh, little, little bit of the video, it tells you how long the stuff took to get here. I like to see what's, you know, what's on his mind. And I think he might listen to this podcast when he walks his dog, but um, I think I'll be sending him uh, a PCB because the last mailbag video that I watched of his, uh, I think it was 174, maybe 175, I don't remember, 174, I think, um, he gets a, he bought himself a macro pad. So I have designed a macro pad with, um, you know, key switches and stuff. So I'll probably end up sending him one and, uh, and then he can have fun with that as well. So yeah, link in the description. Another channel that has a lot of remote controlled stuff and a lot of electronics focus and 3D printing focus as well is RC Life On. So he is a Swedish YouTuber, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's Swedish. And um, his... His kinds of projects are the kinds of stuff that I wish I could do. I only, you know, you know, I watch him do it and I'm like, oh my God, I really should have thought of that. And so basically he has uh, 3D printing stuff, electronics stuff and RC stuff all together. And he makes uh, all sorts of cool stuff. Um, another thing that he made was a, um, a, a cloud chamber. So I think... If you watch Electroboom, Electroboom did make one of these as well. But you take, um, basically, you cool a, a plate inside of a chamber really cold and you put rubbing alcohol in it 
and it makes kind of like clouds out of the vapor. And then you put, you, you can see radioactive particles as they move through the vapor because I, I believe they warm up the vapor just a little bit. Uh, I think he did an electric uh, surfboard as well. Uh, he definitely converted a gasoline uh, outboard motor to a uh, electric outboard motor. So he's done some cool stuff. The most recent video I've seen of his is where he put a bunch of drone motors on an RC boat, uh, on a 3D printed RC boat. So yeah, that kind of um, building giant uh, RC projects out of basically, you know, a spool of plastic is right up my alley. I really wish I could be doing the stuff that he, that he does, but I just don't have the time, the money, the knowledge, none of it. But So I live vicariously through him. So really cool channel. Uh, check him out. Link in the description. I think you'll be seeing a theme about what's been on my mind because another channel I've been watching a lot recently is uh, RC Test Flight. So uh, I think his name is also Dan. And uh, he is in the Seattle area, pretty sure. Again, he does a lot of remote-controlled and 3D printing stuff, sort of, you know, up my alley as well. But he also has a solar boat. Those, um, those videos seem to do quite well, right? Where, where you have a boat, a bunch of solar panels, and, you know, you get infinite range. I think that's pretty much in the title of all these videos. Um, but he, um, he's also been doing a lot of things with the ground effect, which is when you fly a plane or a, a quadcopter or anything like that uh, close to the ground, there's like a bubble of pressure that the uh, that the vehicle sticks on top of. But uh, yeah, he's built a, a Boston Whaler. It's like a it's like a small rowboat again, but made out of fiberglass. And he put um, six solar panels. I forget the size of the solar panels, but they're absolutely huge on like folding wings that that stick out. And, um, yeah, he's theoretically has infinite range with that as well. And his latest video, he takes it on a long range test up a river. And what's really interesting about that is that that is my ultimate goal for a, um, electric boat at some point is I want to bring it down the Rideau Canal system, which is a huge trek and, um, pretty much exactly what he's doing except I'll be doing it on a much less efficient craft. But yeah, pretty freaking awesome. He sleeps on like this tiny little, it's like a little bench he made himself between between the little benches in the boat. Uh, it, it was really cool, really cool video. Check him out. Another cool thing that he does is RC uh, remote-controlled boats and rovers and stuff like that, but he makes them... Uh, autonomous. So he uses ArduPilot, which is actually, I need to order some ArduPilot stuff when I get some money in. Um, but yeah, he does waypoint missions. And so he sends out his, uh, his craft and it does, you know, waypoint missions by GPS. He's also the one who created a, um, he created RC uh, tank treads that are fully 3D printable, or you can order them from his website, um, completely injection molded. I'm not sure if you can still get them. I remember he was talking that they were really, uh, it was really, uh, uh, took a lot of time and effort to put up all the kits, but yeah, great channels. Go check them out. This was also the subject of the start 
of this uh, podcast, but I will uh, shout out again, save it for parts, uh, Gabe, go check out his channel because, um, you know, you'll see his stuff where he came to, uh, came through Ottawa and the video. So I got a preview of the video and I have to say it's pretty good, but the video doesn't even cover, uh, it only covers like a portion of, of his visit. So definitely go check it out. Uh, his link should already be in the description, but yeah, really cool stuff. If you uh, take a look at a bunch of his videos, especially let's say the last, uh, you know, 20 or so, you'll be able to probably figure out what's going on here in Ottawa. But uh, until you do, you're going to have to go uh, take a look. Oh, also, uh, last episode, I believe, uh, or maybe a couple episodes ago anyways, I had the Digital Mermaid on. And uh, she is now uh, releasing videos about her actual journey. So if you were waiting to see where the story was going, uh, I do recommend you you check out you know her videos about buying a sailboat in the U.S., uh, retrofitting it, getting it ready for the trip home, and then boating home. If you were waiting for the point where the boat has left the slip, her videos are now in trip during the trip. So. Uh, she is now underway uh, in the videos, and um, the last one was two days ago. So hopefully uh, a few, well, three days ago, I guess, by the time you're listening to this. And so I, I hope in a few more days we're going to get a, another update because uh, these videos are incredible. Um, I didn't know that um, she was sailing in that big of water. I kind of thought it was all inland stuff. But yeah, it's big bodies of water. Someone who's a novice sailor, but but honestly, like she's as uh, as as tenacious as it gets. She has a bit of a crew with her. She has uh, two crewmates. Uh, but it's insane the the luck she has. The you know some good, some bad. So uh, take a look at that. I'll link her channel again. So that's Digital Mermaid, and uh, she she's under 10,000 subscribers. So, you know, hitting subscribe would be great if you could do that. Last one I want to mention, uh, which I've been watching is Xyla Foxlin. I don't know if, um, if you guys watch Xyla Foxlin. I don't know if there's a big overlap between our audiences. Um, but a while ago, she built herself a teardrop camper. So it was a full build from the ground up. And recently she did a video, um, you know, redoing parts of it. But again, I think that YouTube, you know, bringing me to uh, have a little bit of a, of a more outdoorsy life is sort of like a, a goal. I've spoken a lot about how I love to be on the water. And it just looks like her camper is bringing her out into the wilderness, taking road trips, enjoying. I mean, there's something about building something. I really love that feeling, but building something that can improve your life, that can give you, you know, the, those great cool mornings where you open the door and you're in full nature. It's just really good for someone's mental health. And uh, I think it's pretty awesome. I'm pretty envious of uh, of her situation. So yeah, go, go check out her channel. Um, 
you know what? She does really good videos, and you really would expect she had more subscribers. But I mean, she has she has a good amount, uh, three hundred and eighty thousand subscribers. But honestly, just by looking at the quality of the videos, you think it'd be more. So, yeah, really cool channel to check out. And so I think with that, I'm going to call it here. I still need to edit this episode and I kind of procrastinated all day. Um, again, I have to say the only people that I have in mind when I don't miss a single upload is the, uh, you know, is the constant, the viewers that are there constantly. I see you guys on the metrics. I see that uh, every single episode, there is a whole bunch of you coming out, uh, listening to the audio versions, listening on YouTube. Um, I'm getting many more views on the audio version than I am on the YouTube version. So, you know, I really appreciate all of you uh, coming and having a listen. And so, yeah, if, you, if you're if you impatient waiting for my content to come out, which uh, I have started, you know, making more content, I just need to start editing it. Make sure you check out uh, some of the fine YouTubers in the description below. And um, if you have other creators that you'd love to share with the community, leave a comment. Um, I'll check them out for sure. Thanks for listening, everyone.